Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight. Hope everyone had a joyful Christmas. Uh, Solaris and Barbara had an insightful discussion on Sunday night about the Emerald Tablets and the ancients watching the progress of future generations. We'll be building on those foundations tonight. We have Michael, the host of the very popular podcast, Conflict Radio. Uh, Michael has an amazing array of hidden history shows on his Conflict Radio YouTube channel, and it's worth your time checking out these shows. Uh, Jared Murphy is frequently Michael's co-host, and Jared has his own podcast on notaliens.com. Jared is also the author of the thought-provoking It's Not Aliens Worse, it's us discovering our lost history. I want to bring them on for uh, tonight's show. So welcome, Mike and Jared. How are you? Great. Good. How are you you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Just... uh, had a nice Christmas and looking forward to uh, getting out of 2020. So let's hope uh, everyone has a great uh, New Year. So, uh, what if it's not the 20? What if it's not 2020? What if it's the 2020s? I hope oh, it it's the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, yeah, we got I a long. Done take- stick around that long. Yeah, well, if it becomes the Roaring Twenties, you know, since we're talking history, like, you know, just, you know, we'll uh, you know, just start drinking heavily again, like they did then, you know, live in the, uh, uh, you know, the jazz era and all all that, just have a good time, and we'll go into the Depression at the end of the, uh, right before the 2030s start. We'll make it work. We'll have a good time. <laughs> So, oh, uh, I'm hitting a speakeasy. 
<laughs> yeah, um, Michael. Um, and before we get uh, started, um, uh, getting into a lot of this ancient history, uh, can can you give us a little background on conflict radio? Well, I, I like, guess uh, conflict radio. We kind of started it uh, back up again in February or March. I don't remember when. Maybe, maybe March. I guess. And uh, we've been moving right along. We do about two shows a week, and and as as we learn and grow, we uh, we get guests on to help us learn and grow. Okay, and you have a lot of. Uh, hidden history shows, you know, were aliens involved in helping us get to where we are today? A lot, lot of other uh, interesting topics. You know, there's a uh, nice variety of videos you have on your YouTube channel. Uh, thank you. It's it's uh okay. it's been quite the, it's been quite the ride I guess. Okay. Well, you know, it's been an interesting ride for me as well. But you know, we're we're getting yeah you know, getting through all this and getting the truth out there. So, um, and Jared, um, what will people encounter if they go to uh, notaliens.com well there'll be a bunch of stuff the first page is always going to be the shows I'm on so right now it's going to be uh, upcoming events and shows and then it'll list as different shows podcasts radio shows you know get their links together I will always post a direct link to whoever is hosting an interview or a series that I'm doing including, of course, everything I do with conflict. And there it gets uh, sometimes, I think for people new to either my site or to conflict, there's a whole series that we have set up on its own page of interviews that we do together. So mm-hmm. there'll be, a, it's an easy place to go if you're following what I'm talking about. There's always something new or different in each of the interviews. But then, of course, there's my member area, which also includes, like I'm offering uh, so I, you can buy a signed copy of my book, but you can also get a membership either monthly or six months or a year and get one or two free copies signed of my book. And that's on my site also. But then you get to go behind the wall. I do my own interviews and I'm starting series of learning and also posting about my expeditions like to South Africa in January and uh, different archaeological work that I'm planning is all going to be posted here along with uh, the first uh, genesis of my audio book. So there's a lot of stuff at Not Aliens, but I think for people who are into the, any of these subjects or any of the people we listen to, a quick thing to do, uh, and the no-brainer is to just go to Conflict, and we have a series of just Jared Murphy and Conflict, and uh, there's always the latest shows, but we have a whole sub- title so whether i'm interviewing somebody like michael cremo or weird well conflict and i are doing it so it could be michael cremo or scott walter from america unearthed or 
Yeah, did the volume go away? I think I stopped hearing him. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Michael. All right. I stopped. Uh, I, I think I I stopped hearing him too. Yet his microphone is still open. All right. Well, I think what he was saying was, if you go to uh, conflictradio.net, you can find a page up on the top corner there for uh, shows that are co-hosted with Jared Murphy. He joins me for some really awesome shows. And I think what he was saying was we've interviewed Michael Cremo, Dennis Stone, Scott Walter, all kinds of really neat stuff there. Yeah. Uh, I hope uh, Jared didn't get called away to uh, put a uh, steel <laughs> monolith in the neighborhood. Uh, he dropped off. I think he's going to call back up again. Okay. Yeah, but we could talk yes. about uh, we could talk about conflict radio till he calls in. It's uh, no, it's, it's a, pretty neat. Yeah, you, you can catch it. Uh, YouTube. No, you, yeah, you had uh, the paranormal lawyer Michael W. Hall on uh, what last or uh, at the at, you know, about Thanksgiving. Um, you know. What was he saying about these steel monoliths that are just suddenly popping up around the world? What's what well, an interesting I, phenomenon? I mean, I, I don't think so. I, I think it's uh, I think it's art. You know, I, I think I think we all came to the conclusion that it's art. It's an art piece, and you know, it'll uh, when when you get one thing like that, you'll get copycats, and that's what we've been seeing. You know, copycat stuff that gets thrown up there afterwards, and and uh, I don't think it's of any significance. It was interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, really I, I, I have to agree with you that. Like, yeah, go ahead. I think uh, maybe a few people got. Uh, a little carried away with uh, in watching 2001 one uh, weekend, but uh, you know they could uh, uh, maybe do some I mean, uh, swirly paints on them and you know jazz them up a little bit more. But uh, it, it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, I mean, if if anything, it sure did get a lot of play on my. Facebook feed and on Twitter. I mean, it seems like it was all I was seeing. Yeah. Well, it, it was... It, that's one of those things that uh, came and went, but uh, we'll, we'll see see what happens next. Uh, you know, who, who, who knows? Because, you know, people have a lot more uh, free time on their hands and uh, I think it might be more an example of uh, getting really tired of the Rona, and they need to get get out and do, do something a little bit more uh, creative than just putting poles in the ground. But we'll, we'll talk about that another time. And you know, when Jared comes back, we're uh, we'll get into uh, you know, talking about you know the elongated skulls and uh, are they really 
examples of a totally different type of um, human species. Um, you've also covered uh, the Nephilim. Um, do you think these elongated skulls are somehow connected to the Nephilim, or, uh, or are they different? Well, I think um, it's possible to be connected. I mean, we know we we know there was some kind of giant, I guess, out there. Um, you know, there's there's definitely um, past uh, types of humans that 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 existed. You know, we know that for sure. Uh, whether or not they they squished their heads together as they were growing, or I guess there's many theories out there about that. Um, you know, until I get a hold of one to examine it myself. I mean, it's hard to tell. You know, there, there's so many conflicting stories about it online. You don't really know mm-hmm. what to believe, really. Squishy heads. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you, Jared. Uh, hi, everybody. You know what I'm talking I about, just, Jared. They say uh, that, yeah, you know, so... Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? How they how they like put stuff on their heads to make it grow like that? Cradle boarding. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a definitely a lot of waterboarding. No, um, there is a lot of uh, mimic cultures that around the globe they saw people with the elongated skulls and they either did a wrap to a or like they did it between two boards. They sometimes straight up uh, wrapped very 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 tightly, almost tourniquet style. Uh, the human head with cloth and they would mimic these heads that the Paracas and a number of other cultures, they biologically, I don't know if you guys went over it. Cause I was, uh, I could hear you guys, by the way, I just chose to hang up. I don't know what happened just so you know, I was, I could hear you, but I could not be heard. And so I just, I just called back. Right. So I, Most people hang up on me anyway. So it's, I'm not, I'm not offended. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but persistence, the, uh, elongated skulls. I, I, I got to do an in-person conversation at a gathering last year, uh, with Nassim Harriman and he, uh, with Brian Forrester had been able to examine a 3000. He said it was between 25 and 3000 years old. And he was looking at, so this is the only person I've spoke to personally. And Nassim Harriman is pretty famous and popular for his research and he speaks at contact in the desert and in my case i was speaking with him privately and not at an event we were just together socially and he was able to go into a lot of detail and i'm pretty sure it's all stuff i'm not sharing anything that he wouldn't be speaking about but he uh was able to touch and this is a mystery in itself not a lot of biological agents stay in quotes fresh and he told me he was dealing with soft ocular and brain matter and, and ocular nerve tissue that was still not mummified. And it was oh. almost 3000 years old. And so that in itself is a mystery. Like why is it just physical conditions or why is it that that genetic material stay per se fresh? And then the other part is, the Paracas represent a group of people that don't have the same genetic. You can't say that, okay, well, it looks like they were born that way. No, no, no. Anyone who 
is an expert. Uh, we're not talking alternative, just modern medical practitioner. I've, I personally have shown the skulls in photograph to surgical nurses, two uh, specific surgical nurses and three doctors. And it's the same answers that Brian Forrester and other researchers have gotten. There's no explanation for a human being that is born with one suture line, except for it's a genetic difference without genetic testing, right? Just the, the obvious physiology of the bone structure of that brain, uh, the four magnum where the art arteries go into the skull, totally different. The, the spine itself enters the head in the back, not in the middle of the skull, totally different. And so there's mm -hmm. a number of physiological differences and none of it has been, it is a massive white elephant in the room because none of it has been tested by mainstream universities. So the first question out there for everyone listening is if you've been attached in any capacity to any big 10 college or any Ivy league school, and you don't know uh, a paleoanthropologist or an archeologist that hasn't shoved uh, one of these skulls or one of these peoples in front of someone who's doing any sort of period biological research in reference to our history in reference to humankind uh, is shame on you. I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm going to just shout it now on every show that I can, that if you're not going to look at this, what's the point of you digging in the past when you're not willing to look at actual genetic material that the, this material alone, the Paracas in Peru, are, represent one of many different people that aren't a mystery. They are simply a, the, they can be the jet fuel on the bonfire for the house of cards. There's a million different examples. They're not out of place, out of time artifacts. They're not mysteries. The Paracas alone represent everything you've said about our past and our history and our genes and our out of Africa theory is up in smoke. If you would just genetically test the Paracas alone, because from research now they're showing that they're from uh, Crimea, but that's maybe more than you guys already covered on this. So I'm no. okay. Wait, um, wait, hang So before, what, I thought you, you had a uh, very important passage in your book, It's Not Aliens. Um, I like to uh, read that, and, and I think the audience will have a better understanding of uh, what you're discussing uh, about the elongated skulls and many of these other topics we'll get into uh, for the remainder of the evening. But um, I thought this was a well-done passage. Uh, you write, how do we miss millions of years of our history as upright modern humans? We have gone on a bit about Victorian age, Western archaeologists and researchers, some outstanding, found the factual evidence in the dirt, but just like high school, it wasn't the cool kids' stuff, and those findings were buried. If the Victorian founders of modern religion of academia had open, had open minds, 
we'd have an iPhone by 1920. This is the shortest explanation <laughs> that standard education only leads so far in imagination. Dogma created blinders. There is the thinnest sheet of lies now between all of us seeing that there is no prehistory. There is no mystery, just a large, advanced, unknown human history that we had been trying really hard to ignore. So it, you know, throughout uh, your, your book, Jared, it, you, know, you do talk about um, – you know some of these uh, uh, perceptions of not seeing with uh, Victorian eyes. Um, I think that's a has a lot of validity to it. Um, you know what's your take of starting to look at you know, modern archaeology's roots from uh, 1850s, 60s, you know, uh, you know th thereabouts. I kind of have the feeling that you have a major disagreement with the principles that were established 150 years ago. It's like, I guess uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it as far as um, I think anyone who's young and coming up in an academic system, if you're not taught, if it's not on the table, if the facts aren't on the table and like Michael Cremo points out, if it's only facts that fit the theories, then on one hand, you already have a bias towards a fact that fits a theory, but you're not, instead of tabling all the facts and first and foremost, starting with the facts and then looking at what you're finding in the ground, you're going to tell yourself a different story. And there's a sad joke in archaeology that the paradigm shifts at the rate of the death of one old archaeologist at a time. And that's a problem. <laughs> And, and I think that at the speed that this goes, and I think either from your show or from conflict and what we're doing there and what I'm doing and, and what we're all trying to accomplish, even as, the, as particularly the listening audience, is that all of us have a resounding question, a genetic question, something that we're built with of who are we? It's like the Graham Hancock, uh, uh, we're a species with amnesia. I think it's a great quote because it exactly sums up exactly something where we have a hint of, I have this experience in my mind that I used to be this person, or I'm familiar with this person. And even mainstream academia has acknowledgments of collective human consciousness on a quantum level. There's this thing about quantum science that we didn't understand before. And when you relate it all back to there's a lot of different ways to answer the question. So I guess I'll touch on, for those that don't know, here's a fun one. So you're an archaeologist. It's 150 years ago. Forget this. It's the 1900s. And you have a long piece of steel, like literally a pole, like a piece of rebar that you would throw in to reinforce a concrete wall. And you pound that into the ground 
15, 20 feet. And like fishing, you hope that when you pull your little hooked piece of rebar back up out of the ground through the dirt, that it's torn apart and has a piece of ancient cloth on it or even a biological material because you're hoping by pounding these long rods into the ground, you've discovered a burial. That is your advanced archaeology of the esteemed world of academia and researchers of the past. Jam a rod in the ground, uh, destroy a burial further so that you may or may not come up with a piece of that burial in fiber or some other material on the end of your hook. You're basically going fishing in dirt. This was a standard practice. Um, we could just go nuts about the style of actual, per se, in quotes, technology. Remember, archaeology was not started to discover who we were. Archaeology was art history. It was find a really cool, pretty statue to put on my Victorian mantle. Originally, uh -huh. the concept, you know, was art history. It wasn't, it wasn't about figuring out our past. It was very wealthy noblemen and people with success in the West wanted to reclaim something Greek or Roman or Egyptian. You fill in the blank. They, they wanted it as a talking point. This was not done to preserve history. So temples were, you know, if there were bones, uh, there's a lot of information that was thought to be lost just in early excavations in Greek temples where there would be bones in there and they assumed the bones were what's the point of bones. They would literally toss them out with the other archaeological rubbish that rubbish that they thought didn't have any value. So early archaeologists would clear out a temple. They're trying to restore the temple itself, look for gold or diamonds or jewelry or statues, money, coins, anything that was valuable to them a few hundred year period. So we have a very, we already have uh, it's luck if you become a fossil. It's luck if you become any type of petrified piece of information. We have a completely incomplete, I'm not trying to be half empty here. It's just people need to be more realistic because on the doom and gloom side, we have a very limited snapshot of our history. But just like on conflict and just like on your shows and just like in my book, there is a crap load of facts. Uh, things that are can be observed by every human being listening to this show that don't line up with the story you're told about our past. And at the same time, the facts that we have found tell a pretty brilliant story. And they're right there. And they you're exactly dead on. They don't correspond with what archaeologists, you know, what, what it's not what archaeologists want to find. It's, Sometimes what they're allowed to proclaim and keep funding in order to go to another dig. That's the other issue here is that it's not like they're going to get funded if they don't fall in line with this system. So we can have a whole dialogue just about that self-perpetuating system. But then at the same time, uh, yeah, as far as the rest of the, um, the, the, the well, history of how sites... 
What was that? Jerry, if I can, let me ask you a question because you were just talking about funding. Sure. I was wondering, what does, what does the Smithsonian do? Do they have a mission statement? What, what exactly are they in charge of? What, I mean, because we're, we're all looking at this stimulus bill, I guess, that just got passed. And, and I noticed in there that they're getting a billion dollars. What would they need a billion dollars for? What are they doing? That's a great question because first and foremost, they we, so we have two things that we know about the Smithsonian from early on from newspaper reports and from sites and from first and secondhand accounts of we found something super mysterious that doesn't fit. And, and right away, people will go, yes, giants in mounds. I mean, as far Minnesota, Wisconsin, the, the Egyptian stuff in the Grand Canyon and a million other things. And the stories will be headlines. We found something headlines. Smithsonian came headlines. Uh, Smithsonian says, what are you talking about? That doesn't exist. And then there are, there are stories that the Smithsonian dumped stuff. And then, a lot of people can confirm academically that are in the confirmed collegiate archaeological world that the Smithsonian has massive, massive, massive warehouses, and they don't look like the Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse, but in a way they do. The amount of heat and cooling and storing, I think, first and foremost, of everything that the Smithsonian has either illegally legally, whatever, you know, I'm not saying they did anything illegal because they're the Smithsonian and the British Museum. And they, they, one had a roots and the other, remember the Smithsonian and the money to start it was donated by the British and the British Museum. That entire system is an international system. Somebody wants the bones to an interesting historical fiction piece it would be the fact that the only reason we have a Smithsonian is because that system was perpetuated from Western Europe and from Britain. And because that system was already in place to secure out of place, out of time, doesn't tell the narrative, control the narrative, uh, out of place, out of time artifacts. So to manage all those, they have more than one warehouse. It's not like it's one giant Mm -hmm. uh, storage so I would say that it's pretty easy to burn a billion dollars just on energy expenses and uh, preservation. And then any of this, any of the items that they have that go, I don't even think that wouldn't remotely include the money as any of these uh, ancient high technology pieces, if they're even, if they're not already in military hands or uh, government organizations that are already utilizing ancient technologies Historically speaking, these are kept out of the paleoanthropological, archaeological world. So it is kind of like the Indiana Jones boxing up the ark and throwing it into a storage unit, not letting anyone look at it. There's a good possibility that it's as simple as that. But also, they have to keep going to sites. And and I already know from field reports, I already know that I, I think that this practice is still continued. The uh, governmental antiquities authorities of different countries are involved. First and foremost, they're involved, not everyone thinks, well, yeah, the government needs to make money. So they get permits. And so the archaeologists have to pay a permit to, you know, have a site and then that's money, but then they have to dig. But first and foremost, the government wants to have control over ancient antiquities for revenue through museums. That's a thing. But then also 
if we know that we're coming up, this is a no-brainer. If you're finding unexpected, readapted, and dynastic. So in the last 6,000 years, think everything from Sumer or Harapin in India to today, that's modern society. We think it's the start. You know, the story you're told in the Western world is Sumeria is where everything started, but that's not true. So everything post-flood is suspect for either being cultures that are like in loincloths and you know, kind of Neolithic and Paleolithic and just doing hunter-gatherer stuff alongside these dynastic cultures that were just beginning to understand even in South America. Like they, we had no conversation until the LIDAR scans in Guatemala to say that there were literally tens of millions of people in Central and South America that we did not know existed. So there's a lot of paradigms that are shifting. And in the interim, they are finding things that these antiquities ministries, uh, including the Smithsonian, may need to supervise because one, there's a narrative to not change. And two, there are still government organizations that if they haven't searched or looked or found something to begin with, or they already have a hundred of them or 20 or more than enough, there might be an item that's found that's considered ancient high technology that's classified where this isn't even in a dialogue. Like we're the first ones talking about, we talk about it on conflict and we talk about it with other people about, uh, you know, getting modern archaeologists that literally just aren't told stories like Forbidden Archaeology talks about uh, Michael Cremo's book about there is mm-hmm. finds of 5 million, 20 million, 30 million year old finds of anatomically correct humans that are in the historical record of standard academic paleoanthropological practice that were well researched. They're well documented. They're actual finds but they're not taught to modern archaeologists. So they aren't in their paradigm. It's not in their sight line to know already that these sites already exist. They are already there for you to research, but, but they're guided. They're shepherded away from these facts. These are not opinions. These are facts. So then their research goes into yet again, tabling facts that fit theories when now there's too many of us between uh, whether it, it, irrelevant to myself, there's so many great alternative researchers out there doing very epic work to really bring people, even even a common person around. Because how less of an archaeologist are you if you if you're capable of banging a 20 foot metal rod into the ground to try to hook a mummy and shred it and bring up a piece of cloth? I think you're capable of looking at a photo of cymatic polygonal megalithic cymatic blocks with rubble on top. And I think we can both discern that two or three different cultures may have been involved in, in putting Machu Picchu back together. Yeah. Jared, you, you, you know, speaking of these, um, out of place artifacts, uh, you know, you do bring up the clerks, dwarf spheres, Oh, yeah. uh, and you do have the photos of them in your book. Um, you know, it basically boils down to uh, natural or are they machined sands, sandstone spheres? Uh, it's not you know, a little bit of both. It's one or the other, and, and why are they found like in a uh, in a time period when there su- supposedly weren't 
uh, humans. Uh, so can, can you go into a little bit more detail about yeah. the, the importance the are... of th- that find? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, there was a mine in South Africa not far from where I was visiting. Well, a few hours, but they they kept coming up with these balls that have machining on them. There were shows on this even in the 80s and 90s uh, mainstream, like on uh, network television when there really wasn't much other television and over 30 years ago. And it was considered a taboo subject because uh, they tried to pass them off as natural concretions, which are just random balls of dirt or material that roll themselves into a condition that some, and there are natural concretions that look very machined. They are not machined. They're very natural, but the Klerksdorf spheres uh, were cutting up blades that were cutting up the stone, the sandstone that they were in type of sandstone. Uh, And well, they look like maybe ancient for anyone who hasn't seen them. Klerksdorf spheres look like ancient croquet balls like the game you play in a backyard uh, with lawn balls. So some are much smaller. The ones I saw, some of them, I, I've seen them whole and I've seen them broken up. There's even some YouTube videos. There are some Russian experimenters that actually reactivate and melt the inner materials and re-smelt Klerkstorp spheres. They have a lot of interesting properties. They're not just one kind of uh, dirt that has rolled together at some period and become a ball. Uh, The problem is there are zillions of them, literally zillions of them, thousands of them, and they keep finding them and they are not, if they were natural uh, to simultaneously or come up with a methodology where these lines that are on them first and foremost, not for anyone listening, if they don't know what they are, they have lines on them that look very machined. And you just Mm -hmm. can't make that many thousands of them naturally and have them come up with such a very man-made look, which makes people really uncomfortable because we're talking about an object that is for sure geologically somewhere between two and a half and three billion years old, which is getting really far back in the equity of human or planetary existence. We're getting way closer, mind you, by a couple billion years, but still we're a lot closer to the start of a cooled, possibly livable planet. And the Klerksdorp spheres uh, really are a problem because if you have a man-made object and there are some other sites and things around the world that are, again, over billions of years, let alone millions of years, hundreds of millions of years, whole layers of the earth can turn over and we have a lot of what we would say was living uh, ground that is all underwater. It's not mm-hmm. there anymore. And then conflict and I, you know, we did that episode about the moon people. And mm-hmm. I think that that ties in, Mike, as far as uh, how many people or creatures have lived on the planet. Uh, what was the name of that author we interviewed for uh, the, the, the Mary Joyce. people? Yeah, Mary, Mary oh. Joyce. Yeah, was that it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, yeah. There, it's not like there's just one location in the world, but here, here you have a good example of the Smithsonian to tie in what we've just talked about. The uh, legends of whether it's leprechauns or little people all over the world. And again, I, I say leprechaun, but I bet there's a million different examples, whether it's 
any Southeastern Asian country or Siberian remote Russian society, the reality is there is a incredible amount of small or elf castles. There's a lot of different small people, but the moon-eyed people are an example of some ancient society or creature from, or humanoid person from antiquity interacting with, in this case, Native American populations. And there is evidence of tunneling all over. And yep. is it contemporary? You know, is it post-flood or is it pre-flood? And that only gives right. us the last 12, 20, 30,000 years. Well, what, what can you possibly say about a society? And again, this is a case of in the 1800s, Mike and I talked to her and there, there was, how many graves did we find? How many did you find in uh, the papers, Mike? Over a hundred thousand. I, I mean, seriously, that hundred thousand graves. Yeah, and, and, and yet again, I was just going to ask, uh, Mike, did 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 you find references to the uh, uh, little people graves in Tennessee? Uh. The the Moon Eye people in Tennessee, yeah, Eastern Tennessee is where Eastern Tennessee and Southeastern Kentucky, I guess, is where all these uh, the little people graves were found. Hundred thousand of them in like eighteen ten. And and again the uh, and then you got the Smithsonian again helping clean things up. Oh, there was also the. Somewhat recent discovery of the Hobbit people in uh, the Western uh, Pacific Islands, uh, the oh, yeah. Florences. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, just, yeah, just saying. Well, you know, yeah, that part of America, yeah, just, just an isolated example, and now you're you're being found you know, much farther uh, or, or, you know or, or around the planet, like in, in the Pacific, and you know where the Irish leprechauns, you know, are actually uh, a real species of people. Yeah, I think so. Oh, it, it's not just a one time maybe uh, maybe they all maybe they all got with the giants and that's where we all came from <laughs> maybe well, how, like a, how, how many di- how many different people of different uh, uh humanoids actually inhabited you know little people giants Well, you know, you I know, think all the all the present uh, you know, races of, of people, the Denisovans. I think I think we see a lot of both of them today. You know, the the little people are still around. We just we just you know call them little people, and and we say it's a birth defect or something when it's really in their DNA. It's the same with giants and gigantism. You know, the DNA is still there. 
you know, they didn't all get wiped out. There's just not as many now. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't think well, it's, yeah, that, it's just not activated properly. When you see a pattern around the world of, uh, you, know, you know, let's just say uh, little people, since you know, my had just been uh, researching that, uh, and then we find these thousands of. Um, What was the name of the spheres again? Clark's door spheres. Yeah, Yeah. you find thousands. That's uh, that's a pattern. That's not just uh, yeah. That's not random. A a, yeah, single instance. So yeah, there's um, you know, we're back to what Jared was uh, talking about. It you know, we need to. Reevaluate what we've been asked to believe. Uh, I, I like Mike's point, though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, uh, 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 Jared, what? Uh, follow up with what uh, Mike had to say. Oh, it, look, it was not a ser- it wasn't that serious of a point, but the idea between the little people and the giants uh, getting together and creating humans. I just felt like that's like the genetic version of like we created, like humans are basically we're corgis then. I just <laughs> thought that that was a, a, a great concept because we know we have in all seriousness, we have Neanderthal, Denise, Yvonne. uh there is uh, articles coming around Probated. right now about a mystery. Yeah. A mystery genome structure within, we have an unknown human. We have, we've gone from, okay, well, Solutrians. we have a little Denise, Yvonne. Yeah, we well, we have proof genetically in the mainstream of Denisovan, Neanderthal, and now a, a mystery uh, chain in the DNA sequencing for humans. And so we don't have an origin for that. Somehow we still have a theory of the out of Africa story. And they, I, I get the snapshot on that about why that theory was. But the point is, is that here we are now with yet again another mystery human relative and all of them mixing about 50,000 plus years ago. So we're talking about modern anatomically correct humans mixing with all these other versions of humanity. And we have the Paracas with yet thousands of bones, soft tissue, the oldest mummies on earth. Yeah, there's the ones in Mongolia. So by oldest, I mean naturally preserved up to 9,000 plus years old. And yet we don't have a full snapshot of all this genetic information that leads us to knowing all these human races, they're not different. They're not progressive. They're not an order. It's not evolution the way it's been described to us. These are groups of humans that either came to be on their own or are offshoots of specifically engineered genetic formats for a function. They were programmed to be big. They were programmed to be small. They were, they had different uh, programming. We, we, we tend to forget that right now you can go get a designer baby. That's a thing now. You can, you can actually request certain genomes now. Uh, there is actual. We're not just going in for plastic surgery anymore. We can actually program genes. I mean, we've gone way past Dolly the sheep. We've gone past cloning animals. We have cloned human cells. 
Uh, who knows what's going on in laboratories that are classified. But just from what we know, you can already customize the genomes for a baby, not just picking sex, but uh, some people have a desire to have that. I mean, again, how, how sad is it to think that you're living so uh, vicariously through your children that you're trying to pre-programming them to have a disposition for piano or classical music or sports and to, to try to get them started on a genetic level with certain strengths and breeding out certain weaknesses. I mean, these are things that we think of now as just, a, it's, it's more of an alchemy. We know it's programming, but, but it's not, we don't have it down yet, but tens of thousands of years ago, based on the complexities of our ancient, uh, what we're finding in polygonal construction, the Klerksdorp spheres and their age, it's not a huge leap to say, not only have we reached a higher epoch, but we've forgotten and lost it, but would they be capable of programming genes just like we do reconstructive or plastic surgery? It's not remotely out of line. So the very paradigm that these were uh, lineal races that combined or ultimately, you know, they were that either they were all separate or that they uh, were forced to be together that we don't, we don't have that. We don't have that history, but it's in our genes instead of trying to, you know, with like a small fractal view, come up with a big conclusion. I think we need to more uh, aggressively choose to test the mummies we do have, which is uncomfortable for science because it can be as simple as saying, well, we finally got around to chemically testing the stomachs and remote uh, organ residue in every Egyptian mummy. And we found not one or two of them from some German scientists, but we just figured out that lots of them had cocaine in them and lots of them had marijuana and lots of them were using opiates that, and tobacco that are only found in South America, but told everybody for hundreds of years and for tens of thousands of dollars for their degree. Uh, well, the Egyptians never went to South or Central America that, that, that just that, or America that did, that didn't happen. But yet we have proof, not just in petro, uh, petroglyphs, but in the actual chemical residues, these are all, this is not some mystery frontier, folks. It's a no-brainer. You, you have the mummies, you have the equipment, and you just have to have the guts to do the testing and be the institution that says, well, look, this year we put 5,000 facts on the table that uh, we just pulled out of dusty drawers, you know? And, and it's just, I want to be positive about encouraging institutions and up and coming people that are in a standard paradigm that might take advantage and listen to some of these shows. And for all those that might know someone to encourage them to dig into some of the records that their local universities and institutions may have in storage or squirreled away, or even subtly on display, they might have something that says, Oh, this is from this period. But if you can recognize the period as being well outside of the paradigm, like if, if they're showing you uh, carbon dating from a paleoanthropological site that is 50,000 years older than what they say is supposed to be Neolithic humans in a certain place, you take note of it and uh, bring it up with people, just anyone. It's, it's just a fun thing to do. It's also an interesting thing. And this is a way that these are open mysteries and open conspiracies, whatever you want to call them, but they're there for you to rediscover 
and they're as long as there's an institution that's been to Egypt in the last 150 years or South America or Central America, you're going to find some hilarious stuff. And I, I just think it's neat. So keep, keep digging. Everyone should keep digging. Okay. Uh, Mike. Yeah. You might bring a little bit more of a, um, sci-fi in interpretation or you know you said you already you've been looking up uh, the graves of the uh, little people and you know, doing some uh, more extensive research on, on that topic but it, does any of this information uh, seem to you like there has been uh, alien engineering. You get the Egyptian, Sumerian uh, artwork that has um, you know, the human and animal <clears throat> hybrids, and you know, the uh, figures carrying the uh, purses. You know, has do you think there has been <clears throat> um, aliens living amongst us for thousands of years or millions? I think I think something's been living amongst amongst us. I you know whether it's an ancient civilization that lives underground now or or maybe lives on mm -hmm. the maybe they grew up here on Earth or you know maybe even Mars. I guess that's that's possible too. That that live somewhere else now and and can easily travel around our solar system. I mean, uh, they or, could be in the they could be in the uh, you know pockets of hollow Earth or you know completely hollow. It, it could have uh, it could have pockets where you know advanced civilizations live today. But I do think that that the something's something's here. You know whether it's you know is it from another planet from a galaxy far far away you know that that i that i don't know i mean it, it's something or, yeah i mean it or, could be no yeah under the ice of antarctica it very well could be you know Ad, admiral bird thinks so uh that whole area that oil companies have been pulling up uh, tropical uh, fauna from different ages. It's and everybody. This is again mainstream science. Green for Green, Greenland used to be the North Pole. You know the poles, the Earth has shifted, mm -hmm. and so it's we know that at some point this, these were different regions. But then we have things weird, mysterious things like the P. Reese Reese map in 1516 mm -hmm. that's showing Antarctica with the coastlines open and. And that's at least eight or 9,000 years ago. And then we're talking post-Younger Dries, pre-Younger Dries. And then after Admiral Byrd, then we have, why why didn't anybody make a bigger deal out of a bunch of former U.S. presidents and uh, Buzz Aldrin? And why did they all go to Antarctica in one month? That's just not like, hey, everybody really likes penguins. They're in season. That's just, there's clearly... 
activity going on. There's, it, it's a no brainer that there's classified archeological work. Uh, they're doing it. They're doing something. The question is, is it, you know, is it just ancient lost? Uh, obviously it's lost civilization, but I, I don't think it would be so secret if it wasn't again, more advanced technology. And we have remnants in that in our genes, genetic memory, shared human consciousness, uh, cymatic polygonal constructions, not just old objects and ancient stuff, but we have indicators that this is a very well uh, programmed terraforming uh, ancient, you know, whoever, whomever they were, they're not, I think that's one of the questions everybody has aliens or us. It's easy to say the word extraterrestrial because it makes sense for a lot of people to go, well, there's no way we could have known that if somebody didn't tell us. But that starts with the premise of you've been so well programmed by the theory that we all came from Africa. We were all banging rocks together 50,000 years ago. We were never more advanced than we were today. And there is too much math. There's too much uh, just in the processions of the stars. It's a 25,000 plus year cycle. Some would argue a little less, some would argue a little more. But the point is, is that it would be, hey, tell your great, 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 great grandkids to watch these stars and not just watch them once. You got to watch them for you to say that it's a cycle. You really got to watch it at least halfway into the second cycle if you're a betting man and say, hey, I think I figured out a progression of the stars and it looks like we're in the age of Aquarius because 52,000 years ago, it looked just like this. And so there's this time loop that doesn't make sense. But when you take out the theories and just table facts, oh, ancient peoples knew about the procession. And not only did they know about the procession, but they knew about pi. They knew about the Pythagorean theorem. They knew about... Uh, frequencies and wave technology, they, oh, they appear to have engineered the soil for better growing and also piezoelectric properties. And you have these earth circuits in Nazca, and they appeared to have arsenic and again, electromagnetic properties, and they could measure earthquakes and where they were and how to build buildings around that and not use mortar and lift and move and cut and shape the hardest, uh, most uh, quartz contented uh, stones on earth and construct buildings that despite even if they were dynastically dated from Machu Picchu that we mentioned to Egypt, these are all constructions that have literally had almost no maintenance except for dynastic crude work and repair or rebuilds or chopping up. And they've survived six, eight, 10,000 years when a lot of the archaeological alternative record is showing hey, these structures are 10, 15, 20, 30,000 plus years old, possibly even older. And so this is just uh, the, the shift that's going on right now to just acknowledge that human beings were capable of having already reached an epoch of genetic, uh, every, think every field, think everything that 3M does to Medtronic, you know, like heart valves, everything you can think of that has to do with uh, health and medical and pharmaceuticals to the, the programming of the human DNA, but not just human, just like we create dog species or horses or cattle or anything that we've, donkeys, anything that we 
just genetically manipulate. That's more of an alchemy because we just breed, we interbreed. That's genetic manipulation. But I'm talking about a society that already had progressed beyond a 3D organic printer or a, a nanotechnology that when it's not working, it's, you know, what is a flash drive? It's nothing. It's a solid state material. So we're looking at buildings and constructions built with people with great measuring capabilities. And I don't mean with a tape measure. I mean with technical equipment that would be well gone, smashed, and way beyond even petrified at this point over millions of years. And the remnants of what's left of the last great epochs of human history are showing that these people and this curious, constant interaction with what we're in quotes calling UFOs, you know, in my opinion, there's just a very advanced human race that still lives amongst us that is quite capable based on either rediscovering their own technology because we assume that all the best and the brightest made it, that there was some crazy natural or weaponized disaster, like the Hindu Vedas say that there was this fight amongst the gods and that, well, the gods were just people. But to dynastic or, or nomadic people or people who weren't in that group, they may have looked up and not understood what they were looking at. But those are just like the tribes we have now that don't have jet airplanes and, and, and uh, you know smartphones. They're just living amongst the jungles and the Arctic regions, and they're living what we would describe as primitive and nomadic. But the reality is that the description in the Hindu Vedas is that there was obviously a conflict going on with some human races. And we make an assumption that, oh, well, they were all on the same page and they, they collectively grabbed all the old technology that they found after whatever disaster happened, after they came out of their bunkers, after they waited for the earth to cool from some massive solar flare or some mega you know, meteor impact. Now they're, they're all out to recollect everything and they all agree with each other and they all get along. Those are the questions we could start tabling is what did this society look like? Because it took them a long time, so long to regather their technology and or develop that, or it took us so long as we, really scurried all around the earth and, and the Egyptians and the Mayans and the Aztecs and the uh, Olmecs and Toltecs and um, all, everyone kind of, kind of took back over uh, dynastically in these last 6,000 years, we adapted these abandoned, devastated, physiologically just devastated sites. Uh, and we adapted them to these, cultures that we credit with building them when in reality they just adapted them they took them over meanwhile uh we developed technology finally we have these phones and we have all this technology and we have all this world global first second third world society that says i saw an alien well this is the question we have to start asking ourselves are you seeing something from somewhere else well they didn't look like me again plastic surgery but more high tech um did they have a vehicle? Well, no, they, their, their vehicles did zero point turns. Well, um, well, we're describing what we understand theoretically as zero point turning magnetic and or anti-gravity type machines. Do we have fighter pilots now in thought controlled uh, weapons control systems and flight control systems? Yeah, we have that right now. U.S. military, that's, that's disclosed. How hard would it be then to program yourself that you and your flight machines and your technology are one and who's to say that you're going to look or even desire narcissistically to look 
as a humanoid, the way we look now, you might be shorter, you might be gray, and it doesn't mean you're alien. It doesn't mean you're from somewhere else. It means that you've adapted yourself to the technology you're flying or using. And those people may have come out of some massive catastrophe thousands of years ago, redeveloped the survivors of that society. And that's part of us digging up our past is, I will shut up after this. This is just the picture for everyone is of a group of two different peoples. One is an advanced worldwide human society that simultaneously allows to live and let live uh, tribal peoples. Something massively goes uh, on throughout the whole planet. And those, those tribal peoples survive on the surface and ultimately adapt these dynastic cultures. And here we are with a surprising amount of visual uh, by people who are not into UFOs, not in extraterrestrials, they're seeing technology and people that don't look human. And now there's this whole paradigm out there because of the last 70 years that says, well, we know there's UFOs. We, and by UFOs, we know that there are extraterrestrials there from somewhere else because they don't look like us. Well, then fog of war, here we are. So this is a fun thing to talk about and uncover for people because uh, it's, it's really like molasses in January, shifting a paradigm and changing the narrative that a high technology human society would have already sent out satellites and those satellites could be sending signals back, back to the planet or uh, between galaxies at this point after being gone for a million years or a hundred thousand years or 200 or a half a million or 500 million. The satellites or technology that would be sending signals back to this planet might not look, they might be consistent. They might look random, but they might be intentional and headed this way because that's what they were programmed to do. But our receiving centers are all off and kitty wampus because we're not hearing it. But these are all the things that to be said to poo-poo the idea of, hey, somebody somewhere may have come to our planet because they're anthropologists and they think we're neat. That's a total possibility. There's, there's nothing wrong with uh, throwing that idea on the table. But I think the problem is just uh, not being open to just getting, again, Find the fact, put it on the table. Let's keep light on it. Let's look at the situation. And there's just too much that we already know to chalk it up to a foreign entity came to this planet and is, did it for us. And that in the last, and, and did it in the last 10,000 years that they came and they helped us build really big buildings and then quit. We left and we went back to using river rock and boulders to top off these cymatic polygonal buildings. It's just ludicrous. And now my rant is done. Okay. Well, uh, my, uh, Jared was just mentioning the worldwide advanced cultures and uh, have you uh, looked into much into uh, Atlantis, do you think that there really was a, a culture that uh, was really ad, 
advance that set this uh, pattern for how we're living today and you know we're just kind of rediscovering the technology that may have already existed uh, tens of thousands of years ago have we covered that on your show or you know no no I haven't I haven't gotten into it uh, do you you have just personal reflections on it Uh, I I think it's a fascinating subject I do I do think there was an Atlantis you know is it is it what you see in in the movies or you know in the really cool pictures probably not but i i do believe that there's that there's an old city atlantis and 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 it's you know maybe it was on a, a sunken continent or maybe it's where antarctica is maybe that's what on maybe that's what is under the ice shelf there in antarctica you know, uh, a lot of people have theories about where it where it could be, where it is, what happened. Um, do I think that you know that they're living underwater in like space helmets or something? No, I, I don't think so. But I mean, yeah, they they you know it's it's written about. You know, it's it's, it's in history books. You know, it, it's been written about by a lot of people. You know, I, I believe it's I believe it was a real place. You know, I I actually think Atlantis is probably a little bit more after the the technologically advanced past civilizations. You know, I think that the the Atlanteans probably had a better a better understanding of what was once, you know, whereas uh, other other cultures didn't quite have all the right pieces. You know, Atlanta, Atlantis had more had more of the puzzle pieces than the rest of the world had after after the catastrophe. I think I think it was, I think the highly advanced humans was more before then. There, I made some good points. I it, it does seem like there. Is some you know, physical evidence, uh, but there's also uh, evidence from languages that seems to linger. Um, you know, the one sample from uh, David Brody's book. Uh, because uh, of Atlantis, where it's like the Basque word for, uh, I think it's ceiling. It's like uh, the Basque word is like the the uh, roof of the cave. Like what? Who? We've been living inside, you know, man-made structures for a long time. But, uh, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you know, the roof of the cave. Like, how how long is that phrase lingering in the Basque language? I, it, you know, it just gives gives you some evidence that how long some 
term has been around. It could go back to Atlantis or, or maybe, uh, uh, you know, say Gobekli Tepe, which could be uh, contemporary. Yeah, well, you know, I I don't know much about that, but I, I know that there is a, you know, there is languages out there that nobody's been able to translate yet. Right. Yeah, you know, I know that. I know that there's, uh, you know, there's there's tablets that have that are been written on in, in in a language that nobody can nobody can figure out what it says. That could be Atlantean mm-hmm. or or an ancient civilization, yeah. you know. No, uh, you know, there's yeah, you know, there is uh, evidence for it. I, I, I just think it, it, it's really an enthralling topic, but. W- where do you think it is, or was? I guess. I uh, sounds like from what linguistics or you know, linguistic experts and uh, you know what's in Plato's writings, um, and you get some evidence. Along the uh, rim of the Atlantic Ocean, it seems like there are outposts where, it, if you know, we do set Atlantis in the Atlantic Ocean and it sank, people did make it to the shores of New England and. Uh, what, uh, northwestern Spain and uh, you know other uh, South America. Uh, you know, there, you know, these outposts could be um, remnants of how people uh, where they went after the island. Uh, was destroyed, sank, what you know, whatever happened to it. What about the uh what do you think about the eye of Africa possibly being it? Okay, uh, that you know, Jared, you you brought that up that it the eye of Africa and and, and that was a, uh, something new I I learned from your book it, it that Archaeological site seems like it very well could have been at uh, underwater at one point, and now uh, the uh, uh, geophysical and whatever the term is, you know, caused it uh, to uh, move, got got lifted up with. Uh, the shifting grounds to, you know, uh, being on top of a mountain. Is that the right? Is that the site you you mentioned? Yeah, the in your book, the recot structure. Yeah, the um, and 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 again, I guess credit credit for that stuff. Um, and bringing to my attention was Jimmy from Bright Insight. Uh, that the, that series he does 
about the recot structure or what's better known as the eye of Africa and the logic and how it equates to Solon and Plato's ultimate, uh, at least bringing to us the possibility of what did the map of the Greek world look like, where and how okay. did they describe Atlanteans? Uh, there were there were elephants. There was uh, of what's been found at the Eye of Africa in the very fractional research. It it shows signs of having the concentric rings. Yes, it is a geological formation. It is a it's a lava dome in a nutshell for people. It just collapsed on itself. It created rings, but these rings were once at sea level. And again, it, it, it's exactly, it, it's surprising how many times the Greeks are like, Oh, that was a theory. And then they describe something. They tend to describe it. I, I think frequently their, their math does generally prove out or their observations are not, as exaggerated as we think. I mean, outside of an allegory of a, or a mythological story or what we're considering a mythological story at this point anyway, but the recot structure or eye of Africa looks very much like it could have been, but I like conflict, you know, like the conflict radio point of, Hey, well, who said that it was a part of that advanced society? What if it's just, what if it was just a survivor class that had some of the old lost technology did have a, a way more advanced uh, city, but what if they were a remnant more of a, you know, lots of people with cell phones, if everything went down, they wouldn't know how to program them or build cell phones, or maybe somebody might know the technology to do one, but not the other and gathering up and settling into a smaller fractional society after a cataclysm. Uh, it, that's one way to describe Atlantis is that they were already survivors of a catastrophe, but maybe not entirely part of a larger group that could have been either throughout the still the whole planet or uh, again, the mysteries of what's going on in Antarctica. You know, there's just, there's a lot of different ways to spin it, but the recot structure, i.e. eye of Africa, I don't know. It, it, it fits so many tick boxes of being dead on. But again, there's a problem with it being almost 8,000 feet above sea level. And mm -hmm. yet it just like Lake Titicaca it in South America, it, which is at 12,600 plus feet that has seahorses and a saltwater lake and not a small saltwater lake. And the recot structure has evidence of sea creatures and being at sea level. So it's pretty, uh, it's more and more of a candidate, I think, just based on the physiology, the, the mountain range locations as described. There are just too many things that describe it dead on to the story that we thought we were being told. But I think as you look into it, there's a lot of advanced ancient society. So the question is, was it one group or was it multiple? And were they broken up at any point or through disagreement or just devastation? And did they make different or more independent decisions? Like how did the Paracas end up in Peru? They're from Crimea. And they're like, oh, they walked there. No, 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 no. They they're pretty much looks like 
we're really getting to the point where we can factually put on the table that there was trade routes between Egypt and South America and Central America. We know the Phoenicians, we know the Celts, we know the Welsh, we know the Moonite people. We know that there, there are stories that they were Welsh and it, there's just too many stories now that we've interviewed about, I think that put these people all around the world. And this is just another good example of, again, just tabling the facts. We know it, it looks like it was a city that had a seaport and it has concentric rings and not a neat story anymore. It's a real place. Just, and oh, uh, I got, go ahead, uh, Jared, and finish your point. No, no, there's, I, there's. I was gonna say, I was gonna say that oh, recot okay. structure, that recot structure, Jared. That's uh, not the only one in on the planet. There's, there's three or four more. There, there's a, there's one in Sahara that matches uh, Plato's measurements perfectly. Yeah, and and, and so there's the deal. It. it <laughs> There are so many, and this is where, so when we go to greater worldwide, this is where I got mad. I remember in my research when I was working for four years, what eventually annoyed me about, and I think what started to repel people at first, if you're in standard academia, if you say Atlantis, you're considered a weirdo. They shame you for even bringing that up because again, it's one example of one city that doesn't fit the storyline that you're told to tell everyone um, the history we're supposed to know. But then Worldwide, there is polygonal construction in every continent, keystone cuts, giant stone spheres, and little stone spheres, not just Klerksdorf spheres, but there are a number of building techniques that are in Cambodia and Latin and Central America and Southeast Asia and Russia and Europe and Egypt and millions of square kilometers of earth that is now underwater, including a giant city off the coast of Cuba that's 2,300 feet deep. All of it shows a personality of a worldwide society, which means when you start looking around the world and say, well, Atlantis is in, the minute, the minute we do acknowledge that, hey, there's a lot of locations and, and, and clearly a collective human race that is same building techniques, uh, worldwide culture that we don't have a beat on. But here's another uh, construction that appears Atlantean. And that's where you need to drop that kind of nails on the chalkboard. Atlantis, in, uh, in my time period, in dating me, in my age group, it, Atlantean and Atlantis brings up a single city with everybody wearing Zeus white robes and in a very messed up Clash of the Titans, uh, early 1980s fantasy movie sort of way, Atlanteans versus a worldwide advanced culture that had technology on every continent, again, to measure earthquakes, to engineer soil, to mess with genetics, to program uh, way beyond our skill sets today, right down to maybe what we think of technology as being an external device and a society that was likely moving the planes along genetic programming, whether animal or men or plant or people, there were giants, there were little people, there was different races and, and they weren't just randomly there. It looks like an interconnected interlocked uh, 
highly functional worldwide society. And that's when I want to drop the word Atlantean or Atlantis because it has such a filter for you to focus in on this Western Greek uh, concept of this clash of the Titans uh, mythos that that's where I get hung up personally because I want to explore the ideas as we look at the facts that there is this, wow, there is a missing super advanced worldwide human society. And if we nail it to Atlantis, then we will filter out legends and stories and myths of other cultures, whether Japanese or Chinese or South other South Asian countries. We have Angkor Wat, you know, for instance, you know, there, there are too many things from, yeah, it all, it all, just starts to look like this really crazy yep. giant yeah well there's yonaguni so, as well as for for another pacific uh example of advanced cultures yeah and and simultaneously and this is an example i try to point out is that there's over 150 tribes right now worldwide that we know of and they all make campfires and they all wear loincloths or nothing, or they, 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 they are still living in a way where when our technology and our homes have burnt to the ground or rusted or been repurposed into campfire wood, uh, and every other tool has been sharpened into a stabby thing, and we don't exist, they're simultaneously right now in the historical record in 4,000 years, 3,000 years, 12,000 years, it is very likely that the campfire that was abandoned 12,000 years ago is going to survive. And if it shows what appears to be rudimentary uh, cutting or even more advanced cutting of bones of, uh, of a, a kill, a kill zone for uh, hunting of some kind, that, that site is going to, in six or 12,000 years for archeologists are going to go, Oh, it's a real primitive society. Because simultaneously, we've had these tribes live all over the earth alongside societies that were coming up with democracy and gunpowder and silk robes and massive armadas that were traveling all over, whether it was the admirals from China or whether it was somewhere in the, you know, the Greek or Mediterranean peninsulas, uh, those countries shipping and trading with South and Central and North America to societies that we don't give credit for being there. And, and so this is that part of that shift. This is that dialogue. This is people listening and taking notes and then just expanding, just, I think, taking the time to expand what you consider your history and your origin. I, I think it's important to just focus in on the facts and keep bringing facts to yourself to, and then to check and to keep doing personal research so that you don't get stuck with an explanation that just leaves you asking, who am I, where am I from? Cause this doesn't add up. I had this weird dream. I had this weird meditation. I, I was doing this new workout and this new diet and all of it mixed together led to this really weird paranormal or physiological response that I would chalk up to in my logical mind as paranormal or spiritual because we are again we are a multi for for those that haven't heard me say this 
we are a multi-dimensional spiritual uh we 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 are not flesh bone death die nothing there but i'm not going to let anyone catch me up in a a religious paradigm i want to make it really clear though that we have a spiritual multi-dimensional we are an energy-based creature everything in this universe is it's not not a woo-woo thing what we think of as flesh and body there is a lot of science in vibrational medicine and vibrational medicine is not just about uh hey i'm something's wrong with me i'm sick and i need to cure my cancer or this uh virus or something so we're not just talking royal rife and tuning the human body and i'm talking about energies and auras and that uh collective human consciousness and there's a lot of science here where uh, as a multidimensional, uh, our existence, as we're starting to understand how complex it is on a quantum level, the reality is that we don't remotely fully understand the physiology and holistic, homeopathic, uh, however you want to just characteristics that make us up as individuals. And it, this tech, the technologies and our past is part of the path to this awareness why did I think I saw fill in the blank, uh, deja vu, a dead relative, a vision of something to come, second sight, uh, seeing something simultaneously through someone else's eyes somewhere else. I mean, this is known even in the Middle Ages and in and, and Roman and Greek. And, you know, there, there's a million different things that have been described, a million different ways that appear to be either paranormal or fall into the world of woo-woo. And the reality is, is that how powerful are our minds and bodies and as you learn more about our past, I think that when you listen to shows like Conflict, when you listen to your show, when you're, when you're on these different um, uh, self-experimenters and researchers, when you take the time to excitingly, I think, apply it to wherever you're at as a listener, I think you come up with better clarity about where you're at or what an experience was, something you may have labeled as spiritual or, and this is where I gave the disclosure for or a disclaimer for it uh, is that you might have experienced something that you could have only identified as a miracle or a spiritual experience or a paranormal one. And in reality, it it might be something that is just part of us operating with 10 to 14% consciousness. And it's just something that's unconscious to you because you didn't realize it's a technology that you had a hold of that it was part of your gene expression, just like being a giant or a little person or someone who has a particular range of talents. It's not just that your parents were good at it or being a musician or an artist. There are dormant genetic abilities that we all have. And the more we keep on these um, awareness campaigns, I think the more exciting this is going to get for everybody because you can look at, your experience, not just in the past, but maybe as you have new experiences that touch on these things that you didn't have a word for, you can manipulate it or control it or be more aware of it or be more inclusive of it or not be afraid of it or be more excited about it. There, there are a lot of different ways to look at those experiences once you have a bearing on not not just deconstructing it because it's logical, but because you can have an awareness, a, a conscious awareness of your spiritual side and not lose that spiritualness to it. I don't know how much. There's a lot to unpack there, but 
This is. Um, yeah, I, I, all right, um, Jared. How about okay? If we go back a little bit, then we can start unpacking all the information from your latest rant. Um, how about if we start with the Terra Preta uh, that is one of the major themes in It's Not Aliens. Um, what What is this black soil uh, where was it found? It uh, you know is it different from that layer of uh, ash? I was found uh, across the planet from you know about the start of the uh, you know, they kind of initiated the uh, younger Dryas time period um and then we can maybe we have a good understanding of what this black soil is then we can get into the the spirituality and energy that um you also included yeah well the short on terra preta is it's a it's a soil that was found in South America in Brazil that was biochar. It's made, it's a, it's a combination of, it's not a slash and burn technique, which is used in farming, ancient farming today. And bio modern biochars are uh, the simplest way is to just think of it like a recipe for a cake. You're going to maybe burn a certain kind of tree or a certain kind of wood or a, or a certain amount of uh, like a compost. You're going to, burn a group of different uh, organic items that when they're in a biocharred state, like a coal for a, a barbecue that say, for instance, we're going to grow corn, or if we're going to grow an apple orchard, we'd want a certain kind of modern biochar included in the soil because it's more nutritious. And they, they figured this out because of a study that in the last and when I was looking to do my book, originally, I had come across Terra Preta very quickly where they said, oh, this is an ancient engineered soil and soil scientists have been looking at it. Nobody knows how to make it. It, it has a piezoelectric properties. It has abilities to filter carbon dioxide. It can filter heavy metals and it's super interesting, but we're going to go off and try to figure out what happened to Colonel Percy Fawcett. Uh, Brad Pitt paid him, played him in the Lost City of Z. And they said, okay, well, that's neat. So let's go on and look for this. But Terra Preta, I thought, well, wait a minute. What are they saying here? What is this? And it took me three and a half years to figure out what, and, and following the trail that this engineered soil isn't just in Brazil. It's in North Africa and it's in Australia. Just the exact recipe, the same recipe. So it's like finding a name brand retailer, big box retailer on three continents where they're not even supposed to know those other continents are supposed to exist. 
Uh, there's been carbon dating. It, it's, it can be like 20 feet thick. In Brazil, they're currently, they don't even know. Okay, so they're estimating it to be an area the size of, from what they can tell already, for, for those looking at it, that Terra Preta exists to the tune of about the size of two Spains, two United Kingdoms. So somewhere in that range, they think that Brazil has the total millions of square miles of Terra Preta. But again, it's also in uh, Central America, it's in North Africa, and it's in Australia. Now, the paradigm is these continents didn't talk, yet Africa and Australia has Terra Preta. And then it's not the only biochar. There are other biochars like chernosums and a same deal. It's uh, packaged. It's not supposed to be sold out of country, but it's so rich. It's so self-sustaining. It's been around for so long, for thousands of years. It's still worth, it's better to pack that than a modern potting soil to use for your gardening or for your potted plants. And so there's a black market for it out of Ukraine. There's a black market for out of South America. And so the soil gets packed up now, but we, we still don't know how to exactly make it. And more importantly, it was taken over. The confusion is that in the last few thousand years, it was used by squatter cultures or dynastic people in that it was clearly a more advanced uh, soil that then this area or whatever area it was in would be abandoned. And then along comes a, a survivor culture from a cataclysm or uh, nomadically moving into an area that was abandoned because it was part of a prior cataclysm and no one had been living there. And they start reusing this soil. And what's significant about it in Brazil is just that it's uh, an area where. Jared, are you there? He might be uh, Michael, gone. Still... No, yeah, no he here. dropped. He dropped, but Mike's okay. back. Okay. So I'll, <laughs> I'll open so... Uh, Jared's mic when he gets back. Okay. Well. Sounds good. He Mike won't be long. Gonna... <laughs> no. No, 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 this has been a lot of uh, fun tonight. I, uh, well, I it's so interesting, isn't it? I, I yeah, I'm I'm having a great time. Um, no, there, you know there are communication problems. Uh, we don't need to get into all, all that now. But uh, you know, it's, I, I've noticed it's been happening to uh, other shows as well. But uh, um, well, Mark, we remember in you... Nashville. So yeah, that, so Nashville. The, yeah. So. Uh, you know the the energetic around where I am is definitely um, whether it, I don't think it was a bomb. I thought it was a missile. So the missile strike gave out an EMP. So everybody's a bit screwed. So we'll just fly with it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you know, it's I just didn't that you say that. Can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. I, I, I was trying to avoid it, but since the boss brought it up, it's like, okay, let's <laughs> talk about the missile. Let, uh, let's let's get I into mean, it. There no, is, it clearly there's shows no hole. There's no there's no <laughs> hole where a bomb would have made. It was a missile strike. Give me a break. Oh, this guy is such a patsy that they 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 put it all on this guy, and it's just his poor this poor guy in his trailer. 
Well, and the gut shots could have been them killing him so that, you know, he couldn't go back and say, I made a mistake. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I think it was an EMP, too. It doesn't make any sense for, for all that, you know, for all that to go down. You know, I'm hearing there were voting machines there. There were. There were the, the Dominion machines that were brought from Germany. Yeah. Crazy. But it, and I think we're in for a wild ride the next couple of weeks. I really do. Yeah, Watch and, out on the 6th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, and only people on alternative media are aware of that, and yeah, uh, no one in the mainstream is e- even talking about it, uh, and, well, and, and we're called the conspiracy theorists. That's the point. That's the point. The point is is for them to you know for them to push their agenda. It's, yeah, it's, a, and, it's a takeover of the country. We're at war right now. I really believe that. You think this COVID thing's real? <laughs> no. Yeah, and, and I think that the the people that got their shots on TV. Got a shot of uh, saline, uh, saline solution. I don't think they got any any virus because that virus, it's my opinion, um, is going to sterilize people. You know, you know what I always found funny. I found funny how, remember when all this first started going on in China? We started seeing, you know, these leaked videos out of China. They were walking down the street and just falling over dead in the road. You know that yeah. that never happened. That that was all propaganda. It was all propaganda to scare us. This this is an attack on our country. China's hit us twice now, and I think oh, we're well, in, I know, think I, we're in. I also heard on television tonight um, that they are discovering that a lot of the deaths that were linked to COVID were were not from COVID, and they had one doctor on said. Yes, the man tested positive for COVID, but he died of the three gunshot wounds in his chest. And, you know, <laughs> but they put it down as a COVID death. And someone else was, was um, listed as a COVID death who was thrown from a, from a car and, you know, was, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how badly he was injured, but, you know, he died from the fall. He didn't die from COVID. And they're calling for um, an accounting of the COVID deaths, of going back in and looking at the true cause of deaths, because they they said that the states were fudging the numbers. Yeah, well, well, because there's a lot of money in that. Yeah. Well, yeah. If they reach a certain number of of COVIDs, they get seventy seven thousand dollars a a person who comes into the hospital with COVID. Okay. Yeah, and yes, I love but, how the hospitals the hospitals are so busy. That you know they're they're worried about oh well the ICUs at you know eighty percent capacity oh well then how come how come you're not calling for the army to come build a field hospital or how come you're not calling for the for the navy ships to come back oh but wait I have to what? put out my my other theory and it's just my theory I haven't this is my theory I believe right. that the um, COVID was distributed by the army so the army could be in place for either martial law or insurrection of some sort. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a lot of movement going on in Nevada right now. Oh yeah. I'm sorry Mark, it, I didn't mean to step in here. Oh no no. Uh, okay, with your you know, pay, uh, figure of, you know, the hospital gets uh, paid if you get a certain amount of people 
uh, being uh, treated for the Rona. Well, you, you know, there was early on there was that number of uh, uh, nineteen thousand dollars is paid to you know the hospital if, if they diagnose you with the Rona, and what thirty nine thousand dollars if you get put on a ventilator. Yeah, and, and so and, you know, who, who is making that payment? And yeah, it, and the um, and was that on top of they get paid on top of what the insurance company gets billed. How, how does that can, can someone make that clear to me? Uh, <laughs> well, and have you have you noticed that there are no reports of the common flu anymore? Everything is COVID. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, not only but, that, but do you know, do you know, in 2020, that there's, you know, nobody's died of pneumonia. Pneumonia nope. is completely gone. Hey, we've cured pneumonia. Yeah, it's because <laughs> everyone's wearing a ma- a mask, but. Oh, I'm uh, <laughs> yeah, but but then you know you read in other uh, newspapers that oh it, people are getting sick of this and you're letting you know Dr. Fauci's there you're letting your guard down you know these areas uh, you know th- th- they aren't wearing masks so it, it, it's not the flu it has gone away because everyone's wearing a mask but it, it's spreading all over the place because no one's wearing a mask it, it's. It, 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 it's not both. Yeah, I, I, I think we're at war. We are, and it, the, the rumor has it that as of the sixth, something is going to happen. I don't know what, but that's the rumor. Yeah, Pence is going to throw out those those crappy electors, and they're going to go to the House of Representatives for a vote where Trump's going to win. They're not going to give this country over to to China. It's not going to happen. Well, if if um, Sylvia Brown a long time ago predicted that a president after 2020 would a president would die in office of a heart attack, the vice president would almost get us into war, and the Speaker of the House would um, save the day. And I truly believe that personally, just me, um, that pence is going to die in office i think and i don't think it'll be natural but i didn't think scalia was natural either and nobody listened to me um but but you know if if carmela or camella or whoever but i mean she's an she's a she's a babbling idiot i mean i i can't believe her because biden's not gonna last well, and if she picked her vice president, wouldn't it be funny if she picked um, Obama? So, yeah, it, uh, it can get crazy. <laughs> well, they're not going to so get in. Gonna, I, I, I have said to everyone that it's not over, that I truly believe Trump won, and that he will serve not only a second but possibly a third term. Yeah, or the Constitution will, <clears throat> will, will prevent that, but... Uh, it, it, it would be nice to have j- just a, a do-over. Well, I think <laughs> that's whatever, whatever happened in Nashville, we're going to see a lot more of that in the next coming week or two. I agree. Uh, it, well, it's, it, it's real. Yeah, the last 
year uh, it, that that was you know a de- deliberate recreation of 1984 and you know, yeah. just changing history yeah you know, just uh, re- rename the uh, uh, military bases, pull down the statues. You know, just, I mean, truth doesn't matter anymore. Just say whatever you want. <clears throat> There's no consequences. It's, uh, uh, you know, there, there's some, you know, a bunch of, uh, Doctors have seem like they are just uh, snake oil salesmen. Well, I mean, look at it. Look at YouTube. YouTube is censoring doctors, but Bill Gates can say whatever he wants to say. Who is he? Uh, did did he get a medical degree? <clears throat> Not that I know of. I th- I think he knows he knows as much about medicine like as I do. But at least. Uh, Dr. Burks is out of the picture. She did a lot of damage. Yeah. Hopefully she'll stay at her vacation home with, locked in with uh, her family members. On the world that the world has ever seen. We're watching history unfold. Yeah. But I think. in a way, aren't we watching playbook. history re- repeat itself? I mean, uh, I, I think I think you know, yeah. there's a big say, an out, a saying out there that those who don't um, study history are doomed to repeat it. And another yeah. phrase no, it, it, that I just that I just love is is if you slumber, they will plunder. And Lord knows we have been slumbering. Well, you know, I, I think when all this is over and the Constitution is restored, we need to get term limits on um, on, on the every, senators. Yeah, and on, oh, jeez, yeah. And, and you know, Barbara, what you, you were saying about uh, history's uh, r- repeating itself. Um, it, it, j- just read Solzhenitsyn's works. Yeah. You can, Basically, the same thing. Just uh, people, you know, start with the arts community and and just kind of make them go away. You know, just like we've done with all the artists. You know, some have been on our show. Uh, you know, they they are not allowed to uh, perform. So you know, it's basically very similar to. How Stalin got rid of philosophers, or, yeah, the artists, yeah, it's make up charges and uh, you, you're convicted and you get sent to a gulag, Siberian gulag. Well, you know, all I have to say is this: if if they think they're going to take down the United States just by messing with our election, they're in they're in for a big surprise. It's going to take them a little bit, a little bit longer than that. We're going to put up a bigger fight than that. That's not going to happen. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Well, it, you know, we, we can get into, you know, one of the Doors lyrics is, uh, you know, they've got the guns, but we've got the numbers. 
<laughs> well, we've got guns too. Mm-hmm. And and the American people aren't that aren't that aren't that asleep. I mean, try to buy ammo. You know. No, they're uh, underestimate. I think the, they're. The, I mean, they they know. Yeah, you get. Yeah, you see. You know, ten months into <clears throat> this uh, virus situation, <clears throat> you know, you still have you know the people in <clears throat> the single people in the cars wearing the mask and in the uh, purple gloves, and you know they're ho- holding on to the steering wheel. You know, you can just see the fear. In them, they're asleep. Uh, that, that, that's their problem. You're, you're talking but, about the CNN watchers, right? Yeah, just yeah, just yeah. No, basically, yeah, they, yeah. they bought into the fear. Yeah. You know, but, you know, I there are a lot of people who, who are. Yeah, I just see more and more people who are. Uh, just commenting on that they see through a whole bunch of stuff that is that we're being asked to believe, and they're just saying, uh, "No." Yeah, I think I think that the American people are reaching their breaking point on all of this. Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. To, you know, and and here, and here comes another strain, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just just happened in Colorado, I think. It's the first case of the new strain in America. They're getting ready to lock us all down again. Yeah. Why? No, it, 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 yeah. You know, we, uh, we can go to Why does it start in Colorado? Uh, uh, Mike, what was that? I said we, we, can, we can go to Walmart, but we can't go to church. Oh, and you know, the strip we, clubs are open. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can't go to uh, I can't go to my family's for Christmas, but it's okay if I meet them at Walmart. Come on. Yeah, and uh, don't go to the beach and absorb that vitamin D, and <laughs> you know, because that's part of you, know, you, you need that to help in the. Uh, yeah, recovery process. If you, you know, do come down with the uh, Rona symptoms, but yeah, uh, they're, they don't, saying they, that you should wear a mask inside your house now. Mm-hmm. Come on. Oh, but and ha- don't forget uh, the vaccination ID cards. We need to have those, right? You know, we're not going to be able to yeah, travel. No voter ID cards. Yeah, but don't. Yeah. Yeah, you need proof of your vaccination, but you don't need proof of your citizenship to vote. Come on. It's a war. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, we've been, uh, actually alters your DNA. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. It alters our DNA. It changes us. We, yeah. we don't even know how. Well, and how about if we, uh, you know, 
that that's a great point. But how about you know before we get to you know talking about the side effects, how about if uh, you know, all the media people who are in favor, uh, you know, they're they're putting out that propaganda uh, every minute about the virtues of the vaccine. Uh, how about they just tell us what's in it? What's in the concoction that was slapped together last week in, yeah. in, in a foreign country and then flown over here in uh, refrigerated airplanes? What What's in it? What changes your DNA? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. But it, it I, does. I, I, uh, shouldn't Dr. Fauci be uh, discussing? You know, just let's just have a discussion about it. What's, well, what's in he it? Get, I mean, he get banned off of uh, Facebook if you try to have a discussion about it. They won't let you talk about it. Yeah. You know, well, I'm sure. Uh, you know, this this show is probably going to pull down as soon as it goes up on YouTube for for the last. <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> you, might, you might want Mike to start tongue. over. Yeah, just, Mike, just tongue, Mark, it's a, it's, Mark, you're down to a minute. Okay. okay. Hey, uh, uh, yeah, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> hey, well, you all right. Hey, uh, Jer- Jared, we, we have uh, probably 50 seconds. Uh, both of you can, uh, you know, plug your, your stuff real fast. Thank you so much, and we'll we'll see you next week. But uh, go, go ahead and uh, do your thing. Oh, Mike, go. Uh, conflictradio.net. Just go there. Oh, Jesus. okay. Go to notaliens.com and explore away. And you can also get the book on Amazon. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, Mark. Good, good night.